glad you could be with us this morning here at Faith Baptist Church, where we follow Jesus together. We follow Jesus together. I think back uh, to when uh, I trusted Christ as my Savior. I'd heard the gospel many times in my life, but uh, never followed him with my life. And so, uh, as I was working with my cousin on my car. The engine had blown in my car. Kim and I were recently married, and so we didn't have much money. And so my cousin was a mechanic, and he said that he would put an engine in my car, and so we began to work on that car, and he's, he's tearing the engine out, and I'm aghast because I'm mechanically challenged, and, and I'm just like, are you going to remember where that goes? You know, when this all has to come back together, are you going to remember? And uh, so that was, uh, but despite my fears, as he's tearing parts off of the car and getting ready to take the engine out, he's witnessing to me and he's telling me about the gospel. And I just had questions after questions. And so evening after evening, as we're working on this in his spare time, God is working on me until one night I realized uh, the Bible is true. It, 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 Christ is who he says he is. And uh, if he is who he says he is, then the Bible is true when it says that I'm a sinner and that I need to repent of my sins and trust Jesus Christ alone as the payment for my sin and follow him with my life. And so one evening I went home after we were working on the car and I knelt by my bed and I asked the Lord to save me. And And he did. And then began a a long period of growth that continues to this day. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 28, because as a new Christian, you begin to learn about the greatness of your salvation, and you begin to learn about the Lord, and, and thankfully... Uh, The fellow that led me to the Lord also got me in the Word, uh, reading my Bible. And then he would answer questions that I had. And I just began a journey of reading God's Word and and asking questions about it. And so that early discipleship began. And then getting into a church that taught the Bible and growing and learning more and more. And, And that journey for me still continues to this day, but as a church of which is a, a, a group of people of Christians, born again believers who have been baptized and have covenanted together in membership to follow the Lord Jesus Christ together. That's that's a church. And we have to remember our purpose. And we find our purpose given In Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, the directive that's given to the church says, And Jesus came and said to them, his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. To the end of the age. The command here is to make disciples of all nations, whether it be 
Europeans, Americans, West Virginians, in my case, many years ago, Texans, people from Mexico, Canada, uh, even Russia. God wants disciples from all nations. And so we're to make disciples of all the nations. That's our command. And we do this by the three things that we're told to do. We do it by going, baptizing, and teaching. Going, baptizing, and teaching. And so these three priorities is what we've shared before here in the pulpit, is give the gospel. We need to go and give the gospel to other people. And that's evangelism. We need to tell them about the message of Christ. Like my my cousin witnessed to me. And so we go and we tell people the story of Jesus. And then we guard the gospel. We baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That name, that reputation. Someone needs to have a good testimony of what they believe before we baptize them. And so we guard the gospel. And we guard it through baptism. And then we guard it through church membership. We follow Jesus together. And we help one another grow in the grace and knowledge of Him through the third part, growing Christians, teaching them, verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So we go and give the gospel. We guard the gospel and then we grow Christians. And so Faith Baptist Church exists to glorify God by actively doing these three things, giving the gospel, guarding the gospel and growing Christians. Now, we want to talk this morning, we're going to focus in on that first uh, imperative there, the go. Go, therefore, give the gospel. It's what is called evangelism. Evangelism, to evangelize. It's the good news. It needs to be shared with others. Something I didn't tell you is that the fellow that eventually uh, was the one who was witnessing to me whenever I trusted Christ as my Savior, had witnessed to me several years before when I was in college. And uh, he had shared the gospel with me one time when he was visiting and we were driving around. And at that point, I mean, I'd been raised in a, in a Presbyterian church, but rarely heard the gospel. And, uh, and I just had these beliefs, weird beliefs, you know, because when, you, when you're going after what you want, you, you justify yourself. At least that's what I did. And so, you know, God became okay with these things, right? And then all of a sudden, I'm, I like new people, and I'm like, well, those are pretty good people. I, they seem to be better than me, but, you know, and, and so you just work out this weird thought life that I had about God and, and what he thought, ignoring what he had given in the Bible. And... Uh, Tim, the guy that was witnessing to me, told me, he said, I went home to my wife that evening, and he said, I told her that guy will never get saved. Now, thankfully, Tim didn't give up telling me, right? Because a few years later, as God had worked in my life and I was married and, and uh, had a kid and needed his help, he's witnessing to me again. And this time, the circumstances were different. So sometimes you have to give the gospel, and even though you don't see anything, any fruit out of it, that doesn't mean that God's not working, right? You just keep giving it. In the, in the parable of the sower, we're not told that he was given ten grains, and he could, only, he could only scatter ten grains of corn or oats or whatever it was, right? He's got a bag full, 
Scatter it. Tell others the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, we want to give the gospel to others through personal evangelism. Now, what is evangelism? And I have this definition, and, and it comes from this book, this little red book called Evangelism. Much of the, the information I'm giving you today comes from this book. If you'd like a copy of this, we have it in our library. We have just a few copies left. Get them while they're hot, and we'll order more. Don't worry about taking the last copy. If you'd like to know a little bit more of the details of the message this morning, you can find it in this good little book called Evangelism, How the Whole Church Speaks of Jesus. Because you're not just evangelizing by yourself, or at least you shouldn't be. Okay, and we'll get into that. But we have this definition of evangelism. Evangelism is teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. Teaching the gospel with the aim to to persuade. Again, that's Max Stiles' definition in this uh, little book on evangelism. So, let's talk about evangelism as teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. First of all, teaching. Teaching. We have to teach others about God as we share the gospel. You can just share the gospel, but if you don't help them understand what it all means, it depends on the person that you're talking to. Right? It depends on their background. I had been raised in church, so I knew a lot of the words and things like that. You're going to encounter people in your life that don't have any idea about who God is or the fact that He wrote a book and that He sent a Savior. I remember a few years back when we went to Germany and we had the team times and I was sharing uh, with them uh, the message of Jesus. And I, and I mentioned in, in, this, in the story that I was telling, I mentioned, I think it was Jesus and maybe Noah or Moses or somebody like that. And the translator said to me, they're not going to know who that is. Now, that's not just in Germany, folks. I think I've shared with you before that when I was in seminary, I was out visiting and uh, had a guy with me and he was talking to the mom and I was pushing a little boy in a swing just to keep him from distracting mom away from this guy sharing the gospel with her. And, and I'm pushing, and he's like, well, he's like talking to me, and I'm trying to share the gospel with him. And he says, you sure seem to know a lot about God. And I said, well, that's because I read the Bible. He said, what's the Bible? I said, well, the Bible's a book about God. And he just was stunned. He says, there's a book about God? He said, if, he said can I come to your church and, and people tell me about God from this book? Don't lose sight of the preciousness of us having God's Word. Okay? But understand that in our society it has been thoroughly secularized. And so people, you have to start with basic things when you're sharing the gospel with them. We have to teach them about God. We have to teach them sometimes even about creation. We have to help them understand. They're going to have questions. I mean, I was raised in church and I had all kinds of questions. I'm firing questions at the guy that's taking the engine out of my car and he seems to somehow undistractingly be able to do both things. And he eventually did get my engine in there and working. It was amazing. But he's answering my questions and, and don't think you have to have all the answers when you're sharing the gospel with somebody. It's okay to say, you know what, I don't know, but I'll look into that and get back to you on that. Because that's what he did. Then he would go research it, and he'd come back the next night, and he'd have an answer. 
always from the Bible. So don't be afraid of not knowing. It's okay. You don't have to. You don't have to be a know-it-all, right? You don't have to always have all the answers. So we have to teach, teach the gospel. Mac, Mac Stiles shares in this book, he says, When I have led people to Christ over the years, it has usually been because a non-Christian was willing to study the Scriptures with me. Perhaps it was a group of students looking into the Gospel of Mark at a camp or a conference. It could have been a couple of people in a coffee shop or just one person during a lunch break. No matter where or with whom, the process is simple. We read the passage and talk about what it means. Over time, in ones and twos, people come to Jesus because they are taught the gospel. Such teaching may not be as exciting as a massive revival, but if every Christian did this with non-Christian friends, it would have far greater reach and authenticity. So we need to teach others. It doesn't have to be hard. We can, you can ask somebody, say, hey, could we have lunch? And, and, and during lunch, I'd like to talk to you about my faith. Or would you be willing to do a Bible study? Let's just read through the Gospel of Mark. Evangelism is teaching the Gospel with the aim to persuade. Now, so we're teaching. We're not just teaching them anything. We want to teach them the Gospel. And we've been giving you as a church four pillars to hang uh, your hat on to help you remember the, the gospel. And those come from this little book called What is the Gospel? And I'm just going to share these with you uh, here in a short summary. If you have questions about it, this is a great little resource, again, for free that you can get in, the, in our little library there. But what is the gospel? Well, the gospel first begins with God. Because it's important that people understand that there is a God and that he made everything. In Revelation 4.11, we read, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And so we have God creating everything. And as creator, he has authority over his creation. And He has made us in His image. We're to bear His image everywhere we go. And so when people see us, they should see what God looks like. But the second pillar is humanity. Because there's a problem, right? When we look around, we don't tend to say, well, this world really seems to look like God, who is beautiful and holy and without sin. Well, what's the problem with humanity? When we look at Romans 1.21, it says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God. Now, when I read to you Revelation 4.11, it says that God was worthy to receive glory and honor. Well, honor means that we honor Him as our Lord and we should follow Him. But although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. We've all kind of went our own way. Mankind rejected God's authority over them, like Adam and Eve did in the garden. It was more than just stealing a cookie from the cookie jar or an apple from the tree. It was outright rebellion. It was treason against God because God was their king and he told them what was good. And they said, well, I'd like to see that for myself. And so I'll be the king and I'll take rule. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. 
I said we were image bearers. We were made in His image and we were supposed to represent Him, but we don't. We misrepresent God. And look, you don't like it when people misrepresent you. Your response to people misrepresenting you is that you get angry. Well, guess what? God's angry because we have misrepresented Him. And so there's this problem. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have misrepresented Him, Romans 3.23 says. So we have God and we have humanity. There's our problem. And then we have Christ. What's the answer to our problem? Well, Christ is the answer. Romans 5.6, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. He died for our sins. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. A tremendous chapter. If you, if you have trouble remembering the gospel, just remember, memorize 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. It's a summation of the gospel. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. You see, Christ died for our sins in our place. He was the substitutionary offering for our sins. So Christ died for us. But then how do I appropriate that? How do, how do I get this salvation? Because just to know about it is, is not what it's all about. We have to respond. And so response is that fourth item there. Acts 16, verses 30 and 31. You know, in the Philippian jailer, you know, there's the earthquake and everything else. The prison doors are open. Paul and Silas are sitting in their jail cell and they're not going anywhere. And this jailer rushes in. And he grabs them, he takes them out of the prison and says, Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. You see, Jesus is Lord. He has authority. All authority is given unto me, Jesus said in the passage we opened up with. He has the authority to tell you what is right and what is wrong because he died for you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Romans 10, verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Nobody wants to serve a a dead Savior. Nobody wants to be joined to a dead Savior. He is a living Savior. And He is Lord of all. He rules over His people. Are you one of His people? Well, have you repented of your sins and trusted Him as your Savior? In Acts 2, 37 and 38, Peter has preached the gospel to a group of Jewish people that have gathered for the Feast of Pentecost. And it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God gives you the Holy Spirit to enable you to follow Him. And so, we repent and believe the Gospel. That's the response that we need to have. And those who truly believe the Gospel will be characterized by repentance over sin. There's a recognition of their spiritual bankruptcy. 
And then a childlike humility that depends wholly upon their Heavenly Father. What begins at our salvation is, is a long obedience in the same direction. We are following Christ. Many of you will know people who have prayed a prayer, but there's no recognition in their life that they are actually following Jesus with their life. Well, their prayer was vain. Because God does not allow His children to remain in their sins. He, he said that He will save His people from their sins. And so if we have somebody that makes a profession, that doesn't mean that they have possession of the Holy Spirit. And that's only seen over time, right? We can confess the right things and we can see a change in a life, but we'll see that worked out over time as to whether they're truly a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, you may be here this morning. For the first time in your life, the gospel makes sense. And you need to repent of your sin and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. I encourage you to do that right now. You don't have to walk down to the front. You don't have to do anything. You just need to believe. Repent and believe. Call out to God there in your seat. In the quietest of the moment, just bow your head and ask God to forgive you of your sins and, and to be your Savior. Commit your life to following Him. We have a beautiful message that as a people who lived under the wrath of God, we're not there anymore. We've been transported to where we are at peace with God because our sins have been paid for in Christ. And so we teach the gospel and you can teach that to people. Even if you don't have these Scripture verses memorized, you can talk them through it. You speak truth to them and share with them the Gospel. So we teach the Gospel. And then we have an aim. Evangelism is teaching the Gospel with the aim to persuade. Everyone we talk to is headed to one place or another for eternity. Either eternal life or eternal punishment. Remembering... Our aim helps us to be compassionate and understanding and loving. People are wrong all the time. I know this, this is not shocking to some of you who are like me and you think you're always right. But people are wrong. They disagree with us a lot on a lot of different things. And, and, and people are aggravating. And, and, and we think to ourselves, boy, the world would be a better place if everybody just agreed with me. But people agreeing with us is not the point for eternal life. And so we can't let issues in life get in the way of loving people so that we can have the opportunity to share the gospel with them. Remembering our aim helps us to keep from getting sidetracked from unimportant things in the grand scheme of things. This person that I work with or this family member that I have that's caught up in maybe a false religion or, or in, in a different political party than my own or whatever the case may be. We don't want to get caught up in those things and arguments that cause division that keep us from having the ability to share the gospel with them. Remembering our aim helps us to set aside petty disagreements the need for us to always be right. And it opens up personal communication in order to have the opportunity to teach 
the gospel. So we need to remember our aim. Everyone's going somewhere for eternity. And then we teach the gospel with the aim to persuade. Our aim is to persuade people to convert and follow Jesus. The word persuade is a helpful word. I want to just read to you what uh, Max Stiles says in his book. The word persuade is helpful as it guards us from error. We persuade, but we do not manipulate. We persuade, but we are not the ones who bring about repentance or conversion. Of course, we long to see people converted because we understand that conversion is required for them to become Christians. But true conversion is the work of the Holy Spirit. So you don't save anybody, and that should make you take a deep breath. You share the gospel, and you share it in a persuasive way, but you don't manipulate. I remember there was, this has been many years ago, and this person's not here anymore, so you don't have to worry about anybody even being embarrassed. But there was somebody who brought to me a training manual on evangelizing that another church had went through in the area. And he said, hey, I think we, need, we ought to do this here. And, and, I, and I looked at it and I read it, and it was just this, this whole manipulation. At the end, if they, if they haven't said that they want to pray a prayer and trust Christ, then you pray. And then as you're praying, you say, uh, now, if, if you would like to trust Christ as your Savior, reach out your hand and take mine. And, and then... And then if they don't do that, then there was another step. He took. And it was just this whole thing. And, and, and so I read through it and I met with the guy afterwards and he said, well, what did you think? And I said, well, I think if, that we, if we took and we replaced Jesus with Hoover Vacuum, this is a manual for how to be a door-to-door salesman for Hoover Vacuum. We're not manipulating people. We're trying to persuade them to the truth. But we can't manipulate a response. If we manipulate a response, then we are saying, this is, this is on me. We share the truth. The Holy Spirit comes along and regenerates that person to understand the truth. Right? We are cooperating with God in sharing the gospel. And God does the work of saving. I hope that you can see that this morning. We can teach the gospel. We can try to persuade people to convert. But ultimately, it is the work of the Holy Spirit to produce genuine faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. I'm not going to be able to get to heaven and say, Boy, I led 55 people through a prayer. And that mean anything. I can say I shared the gospel. But God does the saving. There'll be no boasting. Again, a quote from the book, Conversion is a function of genuine faith which is given by the Spirit. If somebody says to you, boy, I wish I had your faith, you say, you know what, I'm going to pray that you'll have it. Because God can give it to them. So along with our teaching of the gospel with the aim of persuading, we can pray that God will give someone the faith to believe. If if you take note, when you read through the gospel of Luke, he he seems to be painting the picture, doesn't seem to be, he is painting the picture that, that prayer precedes responses and understanding. Prayer always comes first and then someone understands and you just kind of see that theme throughout. So be praying for someone to be saved. 
Have someone in mind that you're sharing the gospel with. Now, the book is entitled Evangelism, How the Whole Church Speaks of Jesus. And it speaks in there of of having a culture of evangelism. In other words, we want to develop a culture here at Faith Baptist Church of evangelism, sharing the gospel. In other words, we're working together for this. And instead of a definition, we have some characteristics of a church that has a culture of evangelism. Number one, we love Jesus. We love Jesus. John fourteen fifteen. he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So we're following Jesus together as a church. In John 13, verses 34 and 35, it's, Jesus says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And he says there a new commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. What, what's the old commandment say? Love your neighbor as yourself, right? So... By the old commandment, I'm to look at myself and say, well, how would I like to be loved in this situation? And, of course, that's a good that's a good measure, or God wouldn't have given it in the Old Testament. But, but this new commandment, I'm not the referent. Jesus said, I want you to love one another as what? As I have loved you. Now, how did he love others? Sacrificially, right? Sacrificially. So we love Jesus. We love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. So we love Jesus and we love one another. But then also we love people. Okay, Beyond just our covenanted members that we love and we love enough to confront over sin and that type of thing. We're following Jesus together. But outside of our membership, we love other people. People, Because all people are made in the image of God and they are worthy of respect, even if their sin to us is repulsive. All are fallen, sinful and separated from God and they need the gospel. Jesus called Matthew the tax collector, right? Tax collectors were despised by the Jews because they were Jewish people who were collecting monies from Rome. From their own people. They were despised in their sight. And and so when he called Matthew, Matthew's like, this is fantastic. Let me call all my friends together. And so the only people that hung out with tax collectors were sinners. And so sinners and tax collectors are gathered at the table and they're having dinner with Jesus. And the Pharisees are standing outside and they see Jesus' disciples and they're like, why does he eat with them? And Jesus overhears them and he says, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget that there was once a day when you were under the wrath of God because of your sin. And your sin was probably repulsive to somebody. And God saved you. Somebody shared the gospel with you. So we need to love people because they're made in the image of God. And we're supposed to be making disciples of all the nations. Number three, in this culture of evangelism, we are mindful of what people can become. New creations in Christ, renewed people, restored people, 
Remember what I told you? The guy that witnessed to me said to his wife after the first time he witnessed to me, that guy will never get saved. Well, guess what? God did save me. And then all these years later, here I stand before you, and I'm not a perfect man. But now I'm a pastor. I, I can remember one of my college friends called, and he was, he was looking. He, he contacted me because we, we had similar degrees in college and were working in similar industries. And so he was looking for a job. And, and uh, so, so Neil called me on the phone and said, hey, David, how are you doing? I said, man, I'm doing great. And so as we're doing this, I, I, told, I told him, I said, I've, I've become a Christian. And I didn't notice it, but Neil must have felt bad or whatever. So he calls me back the next night. And he says, David, I, I wanted to apologize. He said, when, when you told me you'd become a Christian, it took me back. He said, you weren't the, the last person I thought would get saved. But you're pretty far down the list. Folks, God can do a great work, even in the worst of sinners, even in that person that you think is the farthest away from God that a person can be. He can change them. He can change them. We're mindful of what people can become. Renewed people, restored people, all by God's power. Second Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. A new creation in Christ Jesus. So in a culture of evangelism, we're mindful of what people can become. But then we all pull together as one. Now, I've got a picture here. And if you can see that, what that picture is, is a set of Roman soldiers with their shields. And their shields were designed in such a way that when they stood side by side, it formed a wall. And then the guys behind them could put their shields up over top of them and it formed a, a wall. And the guys on the side, same thing. And so they could kind of march along as like this little human tank in, Bib in New Testament times. And, and they could take fire from fiery darts that were shot at them from the enemy. They were protected as long as they stood side by side. And Philippi was a city that was full of Roman soldiers or ex-Roman soldiers because... Philippi had helped Rome in a battle. And as a reward for that, they said, hey, you in Philippi can have... Being born in Philippi is just like being born in Rome. You have citizenship in Rome. And, and so then a lot of the soldiers then got land and property and different things like that in Philippi. So when Paul writes the book of Philippians, he uses a lot of military language. And so in Philippians 1, verses 3 through 5, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So they're partners with him in gospel, like we need to be as a church speaking of Jesus and evangelizing together. And he, he then says in verse 27 of Philippians 1, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. We're standing side by side and we're marching towards the gates of hell, calling people 
to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And so, together, we are to strive in the gospel. You say, well, how can we do that? Well, number one, we're ready to lead an evangelistic Bible study or meet with people and read the Bible together. Again, invite your co-workers to read the Bible with you. I can get you a, I can get you a study in the Gospel of Mark. Eight weeks. It's good for new Christians, but it's also good for evangelism. And you can go through with people and either help them to grow in Christ or show them the Gospel, who Jesus is. Ready to lead an evangelistic Bible study. And then also ready to help Like, we've had a lot of visitors come to our church. People have been bringing them in. You need to be willing to meet them, take them out to lunch, come alongside, and share the gospel with them. Invite them to meet with you. Because the thing of it is, you know the hardest person I ever shared the gospel with? was my granddad. Because I had so much respect for him. So it's hard sometimes with family members. Look, when folks invite their family members here, sometimes it's hard to share the gospel. Like, you know, my, my family... The, the problem with your brothers and sisters is they know your rap sheet. <laughs> right? <laughs> I know you. I know what you did to me when I was in 10th grade. And I know what you did when I was in 12th grade. And I know what you did when I was 6. Right? Some, they know things about you you've forgotten. So sometimes it's hard. Now, that's not an excuse not to share the gospel with family members. But if somebody brings a family member in here, just understand that. It's, it's not necessarily easy for them to share the gospel with them. So you can come alongside and share the gospel with them. Be ready to lead an evangelistic Bible study or to share your faith. Those, those four things about the gospel. Share that with people. And then, finally, we, we need to be ready to be risky in sharing our faith. Like Paul and the early disciples. Be risky in sharing your faith. We fear being unpopular. Let me say that again. We fear being unpopular. It's like we fear other people more than we do Jesus Christ. Be risky with your faith. You say, Pastor, I might lose my job. Yeah, you might. Now, you have to walk wisely, right? You don't 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 do it, do it gently and with respect when people ask of the hope that you have within you. Don't be a jerk when you're sharing the gospel. But sometimes we share the gospel. It, it may cost you something. I, I, I think of the Apostle Paul often that when he finished in one town, there had to be a certain dread about going to the next town because every town he went to, he was either beaten or stoned, or there was he caused a riot in the one city and they took him and put him over the wall in a basket. I mean, that guy, he was risky with his faith. The early disciples were beaten for sharing their... With, the Jewish leaders were like, hey, you can have your faith, just don't say anything more about this Jesus guy. Are we to obey God or you? have to obey God. Be risky in sharing your faith. For most of us, we're not going to lose our jobs. But we're more concerned about being unpopular or not liked or being seen as a square or whatever the case may be. Let's be risky in sharing our faith. 
So the purpose of the church, right? The church gathers together to equip and edify believers who then go out to evangelize. I say that because we're not, we're not here as a church to entertain you. The church is a worship service. Service. That means service to God. So we're not here to, we're not here to entertain you. We're not here to, to make you happy. We're here to serve the Lord. And so we worship Him in song and in word. And we build one another up. And then we go out, share the gospel, bring them into the church, make sure their testimony is right, baptize them, teach them about Jesus, and go out. And we just repeat, right? Like on the shampoo bottle. Water, lather, rinse, repeat. That's what we do as a church. So... The church is not to be this attractional model. It is to be this place where we come together and we follow Jesus together and we build one another up and we go out. So evangelism is a grassroots effort. It's not a church program. Certainly you can invite your friends to come to the church service. And we, Pastor Tad and I, we try very hard to make sure that the gospel is in every message that we preach in some form or fashion. And we check one another on it. Every week we have a sermon review with one another. So we get it in there, but it's not the main purpose of our service. But invite, certainly invite people out to church, but individually be ready to come alongside your fellow members and help them evangelize their friends who have visited. Invite people out to lunch. Invite people to Bible studies. Be praying about someone that you can share the gospel with. And then when God provides it, pray for boldness to share the word. If you're uncertain about your ability to share the gospel, will you get with Pastor Tad and I? We, we, I'd love to go through with you just a, a little study that you can then take and go through with other people. Let us know. I'd be glad to do that with you. We want to help you. Because then once we train you, and show you that you can do it. And you say, well, that's, that's really not that hard. And then you can meet with someone else and show them. And then you can meet with someone who's unsaved, too, and witness to them. Let's be striving together, side by side, for the sake of the gospel. And let's evangelize this area for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the gospel. And we thank you for your love and your grace. I pray, Father, that you will work in our hearts to be bold and to be risky with our faith and to tell others that they don't have to live under the wrath of God, that they can be at peace with you through repentance and faith in Christ. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.